0: After my first year of seminary, hang on, somebody messed with my stand, you guys. Oh well, we'll deal with it. After my first year of seminary, I had the chance to study for the summer at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. I lived for nine weeks in Jerusalem, and I took a few classes. I traveled all over the city and all over the country of Israel. It was really the opportunity of a lifetime for me. And I think about moments from that summer quite often, even now, over 20 years later. One of the moments that comes back to my mind occasionally, it seems like a small moment, but you all know that sometimes the smallest moments are the most important ones. This wasn't in a postcard worthy place. It wasn't at the site of some amazing history. It was simply at a dinner table. My classes that summer were all in English, and we had a few students from Norway or Germany, but most were American, most from the East Coast, most from New York City. Uh, About half of us were Christian and half were Jewish. And halfway through that summer, one of my classmates was having a birthday, a big one, I think a 21st birthday. And so he made reservations at this really nice Jerusalem restaurant so we could all go and celebrate together. Now, that summer, I was a poor graduate student, and I subsisted mostly on pita bread, hummus, and cucumbers. So going out to eat at a sit-down restaurant, it was a, it was a big deal. We got dressed up, we made our way down to the restaurant by bus, and we got seated on a patio at this big, long table. There were like 12 or 15 people. And at some point in the meal, I realized that I was experiencing sensory overload. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but we had had food and drinks, and uh, people were feeling good, and they were getting lively. That meant that a lot of people were talking, and they were talking loudly, and they were talking over each other, and they were interrupting each other, and there were really big gestures happening, and some people were even almost standing up from their seats, so emphatic were they about the points they were making in the middle of this dinner. And I had this moment when I just thought, this is really different than dinner at my house. (laughs) Dinner at my house with my family where one person talks at a time, Maybe this is the way your house was growing up, where there were sometimes pauses because no one was talking, where everyone stayed quietly in their seats, where people ate pretty quickly and then got up and did other things. My father grew up on a farm, and I think he just never lingered at the dinner table because there was always more work to go do. So I looked around this table, and I thought, you know, I bet to a lot of people who are sitting here, this is like completely normal. (laughs) And I I imagine them sitting at their own dinner tables with their own families, with their aunts and their uncles and their cousins doing exactly what they were doing right now, having this big, loud, rollicking conversation that filled up the entire room. And all of a sudden, that night in Jerusalem felt to me like a big East Coast Jewish family dinner. And I was really happy to get to be there. I wonder, was that what the last supper was like? Like We tend to view it as a really quiet and somber affair. We, we picture everyone with faces of grief and hearts full of worry. And, and maybe it was like that. But what if it wasn't? What if it wasn't solemn and reserved? What if it was loud and what if it was full of energy? What if there was all this animated conversation going on as the disciples talked about everything that had happened and everything that was going to come? What if it was big and as full as a family dinner could be and Jesus had to, had to quiet them down to lift up the bread and the wine and say, pay attention to this. Typically, when we think of the Last Supper, we we turn to one of the four Gospels to hear the story in Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. But those stories are not actually the earliest template we have for this special meal. The Apostle Paul talks about the same moment, and he encourages his churches to repeat it with the same ritual that we call Holy Communion. He tells them to share a meal together in Jesus' name, and he does it in this letter, the first letter he wrote to the church at Corinth. And Paul wrote this letter before any of the four Gospels were written, scholars think. Maybe even 10 to 15 years before. 1 Corinthians is probably written around the year 54. 54. Just over 20 years after Jesus' death. And in that letter, Paul reminds the church about Jesus' Last Supper. And about the ritual that Paul handed on to them when they were a church, when he founded them as a church. A way for them to remember that special night of Jesus and his disciples. That means that the meal of Holy Communion, it's something that the Corinthians were doing from the very beginning of their congregation. Something we can assume that Christians were doing together from the very beginning of the church. Sharing bread and sharing wine and remembering remembering Jesus that on the night he was arrested and betrayed, as Paul says, took a loaf of bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Those words sound familiar, right? Because they're almost the exact same words that we use when we ask God to consecrate the elements at our own communion service. Those are the same words that have been prayed over bread and wine by Christians for all the years between when the Corinthians did it in 54 up till now. Now tell me, what else are you doing in your life the same way people did it 1,968 years ago? Not too much. (laughs) To me, that's a testimony to the power of this meal, the importance of this meal. It's a testimony to how the Holy Spirit is present at this meal, how it has survived with so little change for so long. It's a testimony to the love that we experience at this meal. Paul wanted his church to remember exactly what Jesus said and what he did, but even more than getting the words just right, Paul was concerned that this meal, this holy communion, this Eucharist, which means thanksgiving, he wanted it to make a difference in the congregation. He was really concerned about them because the Corinthian church, they had all these divisions in them. They had conflict. They were treating some people as more important and some people as less important. They were forgetting that they were one body, one people, all in love with the same God. They were forgetting the unity that comes from sharing in one loaf and one cup. They were forgetting the obligations they had to one another because they sat at the same table, because they received the same forgiveness, because they were fed with the same bread. They were forgetting that what makes a meal important is not just what you put in your mouth, but who you're sitting with at the table. So Paul, he scolds them, and then he encourages them to reconsider what it means to come together around the communion table. He wants them to love one another, to love one another with the same love they have received from God, and he wants them to take seriously the way they're bound together by this holy meal. See, Paul, he expects that this meal, it will sustain them, it will unite them, it will fuel them as a body until Jesus comes. And here we are, so many centuries later, do we expect the same thing? Today's the final sermon in our series on finding balance. We've been talking about ways that we get out of balance in life and how the Bible can help us find our footing again, how it can help us find our center again, how it can help us find our balance again. And we've talked about finding balance at work, in our family life, in our health. Today, we're talking about finding balance in our life with church, with church. So to think about finding balance, we've got to reflect for a minute on how we get out of balance when it comes to church life. And there are two main ways that I want to think about today, and both are a consequence of forgetting what it means to be the body of Christ. One way that we get out of balance in our church family is when we overfocus on our differences with others in the congregation. We overfocus on our differences. Now, anybody like me watch a little college football yesterday? <laughs> anybody excited to see Nebraska put a W on the board? That means they won. For those of you that are not football people, they won yesterday. Okay, just want to make sure everybody's on board, everybody's together. Well, I do not know really anything about the individual players in Lincoln. But I wonder, do you think that all the guys on that team have the same political views? You think they all grew up in the same place? That all their parents made the same amount of money? that they go on the same kinds of vacations or they watch the same TV shows or they listen to the same music? You think they do that? No, no, of course not. Among a team as big as Nebraska, we would find players with all kinds of different opinions on any political or social issue. We would find players with all kinds of different interests and hobbies. We would find players with really different plans about what they're gonna do with their lives once they stop playing football. We would find, in short, really different people on that one team and yet, and yet they show up on game day with the same uniform and they play on one team and they can work together despite their differences. How do they do that? Well, they share a common mission. They share a common mission, one that allows them not just to tolerate each other, but to trust one another. They trust one another to achieve together their goal of winning football games. They have to trust one another. They have to cheer for one another. They have to even sacrifice for one another, even if one of them goes back to the dorm and listens to hip hop, and another goes back and listens to country music. Even if one turns on MSNBC when they want breaking news and another one turns on Fox News, they are still a team. They put on the Nebraska uniform, they're willing to grow and learn together, willing to respect and love each other, and come together every week to accomplish something great. So dear friends, we are like the Nebraska football team. Or like the Jayhawk football team, who happen to be 5-0. and oh. I, don't, I don't even know what's happening in Lawrence, I think the apocalypse is near. But, we are actually even more united than a college football team. Because instead of putting on the same uniform, what we do together is we share together in our sacraments. We share in the waters of baptism. And we gather around the table to share in the bread and the cup. And this meal unites us in our common mission. Our common mission, which is to know Jesus and to make him known in the world. We are his disciples, and he calls us to the table to gather strength together, to be united, and then to go out into the world in his name to make his love real for other people. And any differences that we allow to get in the middle of that common mission, well, we're elevating them above the call of Jesus on our lives. If we let our differences of political views or of race or of sexuality be bigger than the gift on this table, then we somehow deny a fundamental part of what Jesus has done for us, what he's given us, and what he calls us to be as his followers. That's one of the reasons why I love today, which is World Communion Sunday. And it's a day in which Christians all over the world Christians in all kinds of countries with all kinds of different languages are celebrating together at this one table. Christians of all kinds of denominations, Christians of every kind of difference that you can imagine come together at this one table to share in this meal. So that's one way that we get out of balance at church. We let our differences drive us apart from one another. But another way that we can get out of balance in regards to church life is that we just don't come. Or we don't come often. We let other things crowd out the place of the congregation in our lives. And, and I'm not trying to lay guilt on anyone here. I mean, that would be kind of dumb because you're the ones that are actually here this morning. <laughs> you all pushed back on the pressures that threaten to take you away from being here. But I know that the temptation is always there to let other things and crowd, crowd out our participation in the life of the church. You know, maybe we think that we can do faith all on our own, that we can pray where we want, that we can read the scriptures on our own, that we can just have our own personal relationship with God, and that's enough. Sure, some people might say church, it can be interesting and meaningful, but it's not necessary. Well, a quick skim through the New Testament will remind us that it is necessary gathering as a body of fellow believers is necessary. It's essential to the way of following Jesus. There just is not a story anywhere in the New Testament of someone trying to go out and follow Jesus all by themselves. Instead, the call to discipleship is always a call to community. Jesus wants us to do this together. You know, that's why he called 12 disciples so they'd be together and have power in their numbers after he left. Remember, during his lifetime, even when he sent them out to towns and villages, he sent them in pairs. He wants us to live a life of faith with other people. And when we come to the communion table, we remember that because we don't ever come alone. We line up, right, with other people to receive this sacrament, we sit in a room together surrounded by the prayers of others. We do this as a communal act to remember Christ's gift to us and this call of a life to faith with friends. But to experience it with friends, we have to show up. We've got to stay connected to each other. We've got to be present. We've got to invest. And we've got to keep those friendships. So both of these ways of getting out of balance, they just actually, they boil down to one thing, and that's forgetting that we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. That's what we remember when we come to this table. So today, when you participate in Holy Communion, I want to encourage you to let it pull you back into balance. Let it ground you, let it center you in a way that only it can. I want to encourage you to take a moment to pray before you come, to pray as you come, to pray after you receive. You can make sure and take advantage of these kneeling rails if you want to. Tell God about whatever way it is that you have felt out of balance lately, whether it's something about church, about health, about family, about work, about something else entirely. Take a moment to confess to God the way that you are feeling off kilter and then ask God to help you find balance again. Ask God for help, and then taste the bread and the juice and trust in God's power to set our feet right again. Trust in God's strength to center us and put us on a steady road. Trust in God's grace to reconcile us and make us new. Thanks be to God. Amen. (laughs)